Hello. Hi, everybody. Um, I am Jody Robinson, and I just want to point out that this is in your bulletin, and it's um, an event that we're having Tuesday night. We're having soup and um, cornbread and dessert and just visiting. So this is for the women here at the church, 6 o'clock. There is a sign-up right out in the foyer. If you could, that would be great because then we'd be able to plan for the event better. So hope to see you Tuesday night for all the women. Thanks. Thank you, Jody, And uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us here. Welcome to Brown Corners Church. If you are able and willing, would you please stand with us as we read our call to worship? This is from Exodus 15, 1 through 2. Read together, please. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. They said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God.
through the crashing waves. When the times are dark, Lord Jesus, help that person to walk one step at a time. Lord Jesus, we call on you for a faith that can move mountains. Lord, we, we just rely on you every breath we take. Lord, be there with us through it all.
pray together. God, we long to see your name be lifted high, glorified in, in all the earth. We long to see the name of Jesus proclaimed on lips that don't yet know his name. Your word, in your word you tell us in Psalm 96 to declare your glory among the nations. Lord, I, I pray that even this morning that, that, that the gospel would go forth in places where the name of Jesus is not yet known and that new languages, voices that have yet to join the heavenly anthem would do so even today and this week. Lord, would you be glorified in, in all that we do. May that not be a, a, a Christian cliche statement that has no real meat behind it, but Lord, I pray that when we, when we cry out for your name to be glorified, we would, from the depths of our soul, long for the name of Jesus to be made much of. And I pray, God, that that, that longing is not simply tied to uh, some songs that we sing on Sunday morning, but that longing would go with us and that we would see that it's not simply during corporate worship that, that this prayer needs to be brought before you, but Lord, may you be glorified in the way that we live throughout the week. May you be glorified in the things that we say and the things we think about in the way that we spend our money and our time. Lord, I pray that the name of God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would be magnified, lifted high, made much of and treasured publicly in all that we say and do and think about. Heavenly Father, I pray that through our time in your word this morning that we would get a better picture of what it looks like to glorify you and our relationships with one another and with those who don't know Christ yet. Lord God, open our eyes so that we might see the riches of your glory in this passage today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be seated. I want to invite you to join me in 1 Peter chapter 8. 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 3, there's no chapter 8 in 1 Peter. We're going to start in verse 8 of chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. While you're turning there, I, I want to just make, um, make mention briefly, remind you that uh, tonight we're going to resume our missional community training time, and so we would love for you to join us, even again, even if you weren't here back in November and early December when we started this. We're going to kind of do a recap because I know that's been a long time. The holidays, I mean, it's, it's a long time. So we're going to do a, a bit of a recap and get started on. And, and even if, again, even if you're not sure that you want to lead or you're pretty sure you're not going to lead, but you still want to be a part, we would love for you to come and join us at 5 o'clock. We'll be down in the Route 28 wing from 5 to 6.30 uh, during our kids and middle school youth uh, activities. So we'd love for you to join us in there this evening. The title of today's message is Living as Holy Exiles. Living as Holy Exiles. You, you know, I remember when I first, um, I first started preaching, the first sermon I preached, uh, my, my pastor let me um, 
preach on a Sunday night when I was 16 years old. And I'm sure that it was awful and it was torturous to, to endure. But I, I began to sort of learn. And, and I remember even um, um, he would occasionally let me fill in on Sunday nights. And even as I got a little bit older into my uh, late teens and early 20s, uh, there was always one gentleman his name was Roger, and Roger would always make his way. As soon as we said amen, he would always make his way to the front to talk to me. And I always kind of groaned inwardly when I saw Roger coming, because Roger always had a way to make my sermons better. He always had something to share that I didn't do very well, that I said that didn't make sense. Or I remember one time he, he, he said, listen, you keep saying, you keep calling us you guys, He's like, most of us could be your grandparents or great-grandparents. He's like, that, that doesn't sound real respectful. And I just got kind of, I, I wasn't excited to see Roger making his way to the front after it was all over, because I know like, oh, here it comes. But you know, I, I, I can honestly say I didn't appreciate Roger like I should have. And I remember one of the times, one of the things, actually I think more than once, he's, he, he came up to me and he said, you do a great job of helping us understand the meaning of the passage. Like we can walk away and we understand like, okay, that's what the writer was saying, but what are we supposed to do with it? Like, how does it apply to us? What, 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 is it, what are we supposed to take away from it? You, you don't really talk much about that. And it was a good challenge and a good re rebuke and, and, a, and a reminder that all, all of Scripture is given to, in part to make us more holy and more like Jesus. And, and Peter here is in a section where he's wanting to tell us, listen, some of that doctrinal stuff we talked about at the beginning of the book, here's why it's important. Peter wants us to see, like Roger did, what this means. Like, what am I supposed to take away from this? What is this? How is this supposed to change my life practically? Remember, we've, we've talked about these believers being exiles. They, they're Christians who are displaced. They're, they're probably literally exiled from the, the places that are familiar to them, their, their original homelands, and they're in Asia Minor, and, and they're, they're spread out. And so not only are they, they, they're probably, most scholars believe, physically exiled from their homeland, but they also are spiritually just, they don't fit in. They're surrounded in a, in a culture that's hostile to the gospel and that doesn't, doesn't see things the way that they see it. And so Peter here is giving them some practical, uh, practical advice based upon what he's already said about how to live this stuff out. And so I want to read verses 8 through 12, and then we'll, uh, if you're taking notes, we can kind of walk through that outline together. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult. On the contrary, giving a blessing, since you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. As we, uh, as we read these verses, we see right off the bat here that Peter jumps right into to practical stuff. And so he's going to show us, first of all, if you're taking notes, the practice of living as holy exiles. What does it look like if I'm going to live as a follower of Jesus Christ in the midst of a, a hostile world or a world that doesn't readily and openly accept the gospel? And my Savior, 
What does it look like to live this way? Because I think, and, and most scholars say that probably he's not only intending for them to know how to live amongst each other, but he's also wanting them to keep these things as mind, in mind as they go into work and as they are out in the marketplace and as they're out in a world that doesn't see eye to eye with them. And so he says, finally, all of you. Now remember, he's been talking to some specific groups, especially last week we saw him talking to husbands and wives and, and maybe some of you, uh, if you're kids or you're not married, you're kind of checked out a little bit because you're like, I'm not a husband, I'm not a wife, I don't know what he's, this doesn't mean anything to me. Um, uh, hopefully you're taking some notes in case that one day becomes a reality, but even uh, hopefully, again, just thinking about living in community, hopefully you're taking some notes just so that you know how to encourage uh, husbands and wives who are around you, but that's another another story. But now here he's bringing us all back in, and he says, finally, all of you, listen, I'm not just talking to a specific subset of the, the church here. I'm talking to everybody. He says, all of you, and he's going to list five things here in verse 8. First one he says is, finally, all of you be like-minded, like-minded. Does some of your translations say something different? What, what other translations do you have on that first virtue there? Harmonious, good. Of one mind, unity of mind. The, the, the picture there is that you're walking in lockstep with one another. You're agreeing. You're, you're getting along. You're living in harmony. It doesn't mean you all think the same way. We, we realized that last week as we talked about husbands and wives. We, we just don't think about things the same way. We're, we're, but we're all designed individually. God has created us as unique human beings to, to have different perspectives and even disagree about things in loving ways. But here he's talking about live in a way that you're united in purpose. You're united in goal. You're keeping the main things the main things. You're not letting your little disagreements drive wedges between you and especially fellow believers. Be like-minded. This is, a, this is a mindset, and some of your translations bring that out. The word mind is, is part of the root here of the Greek word. In fact, this particular word is only used once in the Greek, but there are a couple of synonyms that we can, we can read about, like, for example, in Acts 4.32, where it says the entire group of those who believe were of one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own but instead they held everything in common. Those early Christians that we read about in the book of Acts, they, they didn't necessarily agree on everything. They didn't see eye to eye. If you, if you read on into like Acts chapter 15, you see that there were big disagreements within the church. But their goal was to, to think the same way, be united in mission. Be of, they were of one heart and of one mind. They were working together for the cause of the gospel. They weren't distracted by little side issues. It's, it's always um, fun when you're uh, in, the, in the soccer fields um, or the little league fields and, and you're watching a t-ball game or watching the, the really young little, little kids playing soccer because there's always like a bunch of people who are doing their, what they're supposed to and then there's always some that are just out there chasing butterflies or like looking for mom and dad and grandpa and grandma in the crowd and waving. And they're oblivious to everything else going on. And it's kind of cute at that age. But you know what? In a couple of weeks, you're going to have the Super Bowl. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? Th those guys there, you're not going to see like in the middle of a play, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes just stop for a second and point at his, his fans, you know, and wave. And like he's going to get drilled. He's going to get 
laid out. Like he's got to be in lockstep with the team. Every now and then you'll watch a quarterback throw a pass and he'll throw it nowhere near where his receiver was because his receiver was running one route and the quarterback thought he was going to be taking another route and they weren't in lockstep on that play. And they're usually blaming each other and shouting at each other like it's somebody else's fault. The same is true of the church. So often we're, we're doing one thing and, and, and going our own way and not seeking to work in unity and harmony. He calls the believers here to live in a like-minded way. In Philippians 2.2, the Apostle Paul says it like this, Make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, and intent on one purpose. If you just took that first phrase, it, you could think that he was saying, all of you just think alike. Think, the, think about the same things, have the same perspective on everything. But that's not what he means. That's not what unity in Scripture means. And so Paul fleshes it out. Have the same love for each other. Be united in spirit. Have one purpose. Move together in love. There's a lot more we could say about this idea of being like-minded. But the second one that, that Peter mentions here in verse 8, he says, Finally, all of you be like-minded and be sympathetic. Be sympathetic. How about that one? Does anybody have a different translation? Having compassion. He says, he says, I want you to, to be sympathetic towards one another. This is more than just a, aww. It goes deeper than that. Like it means seeing each other's hurts and struggles and entering into that. Being willing to, to bear one another's burdens. The, 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 the word literally means being affected by like feelings. To, to, to do more than just like oh, that was probably hard, but to step closer to that brother or sister and say, how can I walk with you in this? It's the idea, the scriptural idea of weeping with those who weep, mourning with those who mourn. It's more than just feeling sad for, but it's walking with brothers and sisters, specifically who are struggling, who are having a difficult time. The next one he mentions, the third one, is brotherly love. Have brotherly love. This is, this is from the Greek word phileo. A lot of us know about uh, agape love and that idea of sacrificial love. But this here speaks of having a, having a mutual affection for one another. Having a heart that genuinely cares for your fellow man. You see, all these kind of build on each other and they, they intertwine with each other. It, it, for some of us, we've used the phrase, and I'm not going to do a show of hands because I know I've used it and I don't want you to raise your hand with me here on this one, but uh, some of us have used that phrase, well, I'm, I, I have to love them, but I don't have to like them. Well, this, this word kind of actually goes against that idea that, that, that we're supposed to have a, a tender heart of, of compassion towards our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't mean you're going to be best buds with every single person in the church or in the world, but, but it means that you can, you can be kind and compassionate and loving and have that affection. This isn't something that we can drum up on our own. I'll tell you something that I'm learning Especially when uh, maybe, maybe I'm reflecting on showing this 
this sort of love, this brotherly love to someone who uh, maybe I just assume rather not. Maybe they've injured me in some way. Maybe uh, they've got under my skin in some way. And, and, and I'll tell you, one of the things that God's convicting me of is the, 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 the more time you sit and listen to someone's story, especially someone like this who just rubs you the wrong way, I'm not asking for you to name names or anything like that, and don't elbow with people in your pew or anything like that, but, but we all have somebody who's coming to mind right now, maybe a couple somebodies. One of the things that God's teaching me is the more time I just sit and hear their story, the more compassion I have, the more this feeling begins to well up inside of me. You know, nobody, nobody wakes up in the morning saying, I'm going to annoy people today. I am going to see how many, well, okay, I shouldn't say nobody, okay, because I, I do have kids, and I, I've seen the strategic planning that involves brothers and things, but um, most of us don't wake up and say, uh, I'm going to be a jerk today. Like, there's, you, don't, you don't read any eight-year-old's school papers, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a jerk that nobody likes. Like, like that's, that's not in our life goals. And, and even as adults, if you go to that person, you'd be like, did you intend to be a jerk? Because you've been a jerk as long as I've known you. Like, they're probably going to be like, at least maybe somewhat surprised, but even more so, that they, they, they're going to tell you no. Like, no. <laughs> they, 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 don't, they don't intend to be cantankerous and grumpy. But I'll tell you what, the, the more you sit and listen to a story, there's always something behind that. There's always a reason why someone who's hard is hard. There's always a reason why someone who's on edge all the time is on edge. There's a reason that someone who monopolizes conversations and is always talking about themselves, there's a reason they do that. And when you stop and listen, truly listen and say, God, help me to understand this person. Help me understand what is it in my own heart that just grates whenever I'm around them. I'll tell you what, when you ask, when you begin to ask God to help you see that, that man or that woman, that child through the eyes of Jesus, and you really mean it, that's a prayer request that he will answer. And he will begin to help you see that brother or sister as he sees them. And you might even begin to get past that gruff or annoying surface and get down below and find out what's really driving them. Why is it? In fact, I was just, just this week I was at a, at a conference with some other pastors. It, was, it wasn't even a conference. It was really a, a smaller gathering. And we were talking about the importance of listening. And uh, one of the guys shared how he had someone come to his office one time, they wanted to meet, and he said, we sat down, and he said, the guy started talking, and for 45 minutes, he didn't stop to take a breath, nothing, just 45 minutes straight, and this pastor was sharing how he was just getting annoyed, and was frustrated, and impatient, and just was tired of this person talking about themselves, he'd been there 45 minutes, and hadn't even acknowledged, like, you need to take a break and get a drink of water, or how are you doing, or, you know, those normal conversation things. And finally, he said, God just gave me a heart of compassion. All of a sudden, he said, I stopped him, and I said, nobody's ever listened to you before, have they? And he said, the man just broke down crying. And he said, no, 
And, and they begin to have a conversation about why that is and what, what kind of hurts that this, this guy had experienced that causes him to drive people away. And, and it, was, it ended up being a really healing and a powerful conversation. But if he hadn't stopped to, to say, God, help me have a heart, have compassion toward him. Help me to see him like you see him. That resentment and frustration would have only gone and he would have just been checking his watch, inching closer to the door, just trying to get him out. May God give us that heart of compassion for one another. It's, it's what um, the Apostle Paul speaks of in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God forgave you in Christ. And then, and that, and that, and that word uh, compassion uh, is, 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 you know, if you've, you've heard me say it, is, is tied to one of my favorite Greek words. It's the, it's the Greek word splachnon. It's the word that means bowels or guts. And, and at the end of the day, Paul uses this, and now Peter uses this to, to refer to like that deep-seated affection. God, give me that deep heart of compassion. These writers didn't talk about it being a heart of compassion. They talked about, give me bowels of compassion. In fact, the, the, the word literally means with healthy bowels. Some of you might be like, hey, I just went to the doctor this week, and he said, my, my bowels are healthy. Listen, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about deeply caring from somebody, for somebody from your heart. And then the last one here in this verse is humility or being humble-minded. It's really interesting that the first and the last one both contain the word mind. Be like-minded and humble-minded. It's a reminder that this all begins with our way of thinking. So often when I'm out of sorts and I'm not walking with God and I'm not enjoying fellowship with him, it's because my thinking is out of whack, and it's, it's affected everything, my emotions, my actions. When we come to God's word and when we renew our minds, we can get back on track. And these are the, the practice, the practical outworking of what it means to live as holy exiles. I promise we're not going to spend as much time on each of the points as, I, as that one, but there's so much meat in, in verse 8, I wanted to touch on those. The second one here that we see is the reason for living as holy exiles. He gives sort of what it looks like in verse 8, and then here in verse 9, he mentions, okay, now here's the why. How many of your kids have, you know, you ask them to do something, and they're like, why? Why do I have to do that? And you're like, because I <laughs> said so. I mean, you don't like, what, what? But, but God graciously gives us a reason here. And he says in verse 9, he says, um, give a blessing since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. He says, this is your calling. This is what you've been, been called to by God to live this way among one another and in this world. This is your calling. Some of you uh, maybe grew up with a very clear sense of purpose and calling. You're like, this is what I want to do. And this is what I'm going to do with my life. Some of you have lived with that and you know what that's like. Or you've seen someone and you saw the way that they lived or their occupation. And you're like, they were meant for that. That is spot on. That's, that's them. Like, that's a perfect fit. Well, here's our calling. Our calling is to live this way. He says, you've been called to this. This isn't optional. This isn't just me coming up with this on a whim. But you've been called to be like-minded, sympathetic, have brotherly love, have compassion, and to be humble. This is what you were made for. Thirdly, 
He says then, he gives us actually the result then of living as holy exiles. He gave us not only the reason, but then he says, so this is what's going to happen when you live this way. He says in verse 9, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult. And that sort of is a recap of what he said in verse 8. And he says, but on the contrary, give a blessing since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? He doesn't just say, live this way because I said so. He says, you were called for this. But then he doesn't even leave it there. He says, listen, when you live this way, when you're the kind of person who blesses others by pouring into them, by being compassionate, by being gentle, by showing brotherly love, when you do that, you will be blessed. It's amazing how God designed this. This is, this is all throughout Scripture. This is the way. When we honor God, He blesses us. Think about just even the one idea of, of tithing and giving financially to God. Those of you who have given sacrificially and at times not knowing where your, your funds were coming from, you see that principle played out, that God turns around and blesses you in some way. And this is so true in the way that we live. When we show compassion, when we move towards those who frustrate and annoy us, when we have a spirit of forgiveness in us, the promise from Scripture is that you will be blessed. He doesn't like clearly say that, like within 48 hours you will have a financial windfall, or he doesn't say like all of your relationships will be restored, or you'll be perfectly healthy for the next six months. Like he doesn't, he doesn't explain what it means to be blessed, but he says, listen, just trust me on this, God will bless you. It could look like at different things at different times, even, even if the only blessing is the joy that you get from serving and loving, from building bridges where those bridges had been broken and torn down. The result of living is holy exiles. Not only will you be blessed by God, there's actually another bonus involved. If you flip back to verse 12 of chapter 2, here's the other bonus blessing that I, we touched on this back when we studied verse 12. But he says, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Why, Peter? Why should we conduct ourselves honorably among the Gentiles? So that when they slander you as evildoers, they'll observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. I think what Peter is getting at there is that, that living a holy life among unbelievers gives them a chance to get a glimpse of Jesus through you. This isn't a guarantee that every single unbeliever that you live a holy life around is going to get saved. I think we all know that. But he says, listen, they're going to observe your lifestyle and they're going to see the love that you have for one another and Jesus is going to be front and center for them so that one day they may, they may turn to him and glorify God because of the way that you've lived. Jesus has said over and over again things like, they will, they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Our lives make a difference. Whether or not you follow Jesus when you walk out of here, it has more to do with than simply with your happiness or your joy or your contentment. Your life has ripple effects for good or for ill. And he says, listen, when you live this way, it points people to Jesus. So, as, um, as my uh, dear friend Roger would want to know, well, okay, but 
how. Like, this is all great, and, and these are all really practical things from Peter, but like, what does this look like? And, and we all know that, like, like, probably there's none of you, as we read verse 8, in those five virtues in ver- verse 8, there's probably nobody in this room who's like, oh, seriously, I'm supposed to be compassionate to people? Oh my goodness, I've been a Christian for 40 years, I never knew that. Like, there are probably no light bulbs or no, like, incredible, like, oh my goodness, I've never seen this before. Like, we know that these are virtues that our Lord and Savior modeled and that, that we're called to, but the trick is how? How, how do I do this when that person's annoying me? Or, or I've, I, I haven't slept very well because I've got a newborn or, or, or just lost my job or whatever, you, whatever it is, how do I practically make this work? As I was, I was studying, I wrote down a couple of things about the way to live as holy exiles. And I found one outline that I found really helpful, and it was all ours, and I wasn't clever enough to come up with this, but I, I felt like it was helpful. And it points us to a few other verses in this book, uh, some of which we've already looked at. So just briefly, the last idea here is the way to live as holy exiles. And the first, first R is repent, repenting from sin. If you, if you look at verses 10 and 11, verses, verses 10 through 12 is a quote from Psalm 34. Peter's pulling from that psalm to sort of bolster now what he said in verses 8 and 9. Verses 10 through 12 are sort of like, let me give you an example from Scripture as to why this is biblical. And so he says in verse 10, The one who wants to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And look at verse 11. And let him turn away from evil and do what is good. My brothers and sisters, that's repentance. Turning away from evil and turning towards God's way. Turning towards what is good. And I love this. There's there's a lot that we could say about repentance. But I'll just say this. Repentance is often misunderstood. Like so many of us think of repentance as like, like it's something I do like maybe once every you know, three, four months when I do something really big and really bad, and it's like, okay, well, everybody knows I blew it. I, I, need, to, I need to repent. Like, like we almost feel like, like if, I, if I really love Jesus, then I shouldn't be repenting because I shouldn't be messing up. But the reality is, is that there's, there's none of us who can say this morning that we're without sin. A spirit of repentance is actually a sign of a mature heart that's sensitive to the things of God. A heart of repentance recognizes that daily I'm going to blow it, but I want to be near to God, and I don't want to let a moment go by where, where I have my back turned towards Him in, in harboring sin. A spirit of repentance is what we're called to live. You know, um, Psalm 139, where David says, Search my heart, O God, and see if there be any wicked way within me. Do you realize there that when David prayed that, that there was nothing apparent and obvious to him that was separating him from God? You see, when you read Psalm 51, that's David's prayer of repentance after his sin with Bathsheba and after murdering Uriah. And we're like, well, of course you should repent. Like, that's messed up. You, like, you sinned royally, David. You need to repent. But Psalm 139 is his prayer when, when he's walking with God and there's nothing like blatantly obvious in front of him that he's, he's in need of forgiveness. 
But he so longs to be near to the heart of God that he says, God, if there's anything, anything I'm unaware of, oh, search me, scan my heart, and show me, reveal to me. Like he wasn't afraid of this because he knew repentance leads to life. Repentance is not anything to be afraid of or ashamed of. Repentance draws us nearer to the heart of God. That's why James says something even as crazy as uh, confess your sins to one another. Like not just to God, but even to one another. I've been struggling with this this week. Because repentance and confession of sin is the fastest way to draw near to God. As we want to live as live holy lives as exiles, as we want to seek to follow these virtues, have these virtues evident in our life, the first step is repentance. And then secondly, I wrote down resort. Repent and resort. Resort to Christ. Turn to Jesus. If you look back in chapter 2 and verse 4, it simply says, as you come to him, a living stone. As you come to him. He didn't say when you came to him, like it was a past tense thing, but the idea is, is that you're continually drawing to Jesus Christ. You're continually, you're continually yearning for and turning to him. We're reminded over and over and over again that we must fix our eyes on Jesus. That's what the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 12. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. This is the gospel. It's moment by moment recognizing that I'm a sinner and I need a great Savior. That's not simply something that was in a past tense. That like, yeah, I needed him as my meal ticket to heaven and now we're good. Moment by moment, our, our heart should be oriented towards the gospel. I need Jesus. I am a sinner. I need a Savior. It's like the, the, the words of that old chorus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. That's his heart for us as we seek to live holy lives. It begins with repentance. And secondly, it's a turning to Christ, resorting to Christ. And then thirdly, it's lingering there. It's relishing Christ and the Word. Relishing Christ and the Word. Again, back at the beginning of chapter 2, I love this image. In verse 2, he says, Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the Word. That word desire is a longing. I still remember, uh, um, you know, when, when our kids were so little and, and just like longing for their mother's milk. And it was amazing. Like you think, like seriously, that's, you know, I was, I was 22 years old when my first kid was born. Like I, I probably, I had no right to be having a child at that, at that age. I think my, my, my brain, I don't think a male's brain finishes developing to you like 24 or something. So there's no way that I should have been having a kid then. But I'm just sitting here thinking, like, doesn't he need more? Like, shouldn't we, you know, chop up a little hamburger for him or something? Like, just milk? Come on, that's kind of lame. But the longing that they had for their mother's milk and the way that they were satisfied and filled up, and, and just like we always used to call it, like, you know, when they'd finish, uh, finish nursing, they're like, they're milk drunk. There was just sort of this, like, and it's like nap time. They had their fill, and they were, they were content. 
We're called here to long for, to desire the pure milk of the word, to find our fill, to find ourselves satisfied in the word. But it's, it's also not only just the word, but it's also finding that satisfaction specifically in Christ. The word points us to Jesus because he goes on there in, in verse 3 and he says, um, so that by it you may grow up to your salvation if you've tasted that the Lord is good. Peter didn't continue the imagery by accident. That, that, that you have this longing for the milk of the word so that you can taste Jesus. <laughs> you can taste the goodness of Jesus. He wants us to find ourselves relishing our Savior. I think this is the same idea that John's getting at in John 15 of abiding in Christ, remaining in the love of Christ, John 15, 9. And then finally, we request. We repent. We resort to Christ. We relish Christ and the Word. And then we bring our requests to Him. Back in the passage that we're looking at today, chapter 3, verse 12, he says, um, in verse 11, he says, Let him seek peace and pursue it, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. God is looking for us to cry out to him in desperation, to be sure to bring our prayer requests for others and, and stuff that we have going on and material things, all those things. It's fine to pray for that, but the Lord longs for us to cry to him just like a child cries out for their mother or their father. He longs for us to have that same deep inward yearning that I must have Jesus, I must have you, O oh God, or I'm not going to make it. My brothers and sisters, we can't have holiness without prayer. We can't have holiness without talking to our Father. And there's so much we could say here. We, we've talked about prayer before, and, and, and we really can't, we can't talk about it too much. Sometimes we get weird about prayer. We feel like we've got to be so formal and use certain words and language. God just wants His children to talk to Him. Think about how your kids come and talk to you and express their hurts or their longings or their fears. God longs for us to just talk to Him. It's not, we don't need to make it complicated. We don't have to get everything all prepared and ready and make a formal presentation to God. He just wants us to talk to Him. And as we think about this whole idea of living as holy exiles in this world with one another as his followers and with those who don't yet know Christ, this is what it boils down to. We need Jesus every moment in order to make this happen. You and I don't have these resources in and of ourselves. You and I can't figure this out on our own. We need Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit at work within us. My prayer for us, my, my desire is that, that we turn to this, these virtues, not, as a, not in a legalistic way, like, hey, if I do all these things, God's going to be happy with me. That's, that's not what he's saying here. But as those who love Jesus and long to live holy lives and make a difference in, in our church community and in the world around us, we pursue Jesus so that these virtues will be evident in our life. I love that, uh, I, I would love if the Lord's leading you to come up here and spend some time in prayer for anything, whether it's uh, about uh, these, these verses that we've studied or anything that's on your heart. There'll be a, several of us up here who would love to pray with you. Um, we'd just love to give you that opportunity as this service concludes. Let me, let me pray as we finish up. Our Heavenly Father, 
God, I pray that we would... Well, I want to pray first of all for a brother or sister in this room that maybe as we read these verses, there's just, they sort of hear these, these scriptures with indifference. There's no real stirring in their heart or longing to live this way. Lord, do a mighty work in softening their heart, drawing them to Jesus. And may nothing that in this world distract them or get in the way of them even having the desire to follow you. Lord, I thank you that you make all of these things possible through the Spirit of God and dwelling within us. God, may we turn to the good news of the gospel, humbly repenting and fixing our eyes on Jesus, our Savior, moment by moment, as we seek to pursue holiness. God, create that in our hearts. God, give us a heart of prayer. May we long to bring these desires or frustrations and struggles before you. We thank you that you hear us. We thank you, thank you that we can talk to you anytime. And thank you, God, that You've not left us alone to figure out how to follow Jesus in this world. You've left us with your word. You've left us a message for us to follow and a spirit to empower us and a savior to hold close. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus and may he fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.